my name is Dan. I'm one of the leaders uh, at Liberty Church, and I get to preach to you uh, from the Bible this morning. And we are continuing with our series uh, in 1 Thessalonians, and it is Paul's letter to a very, very young and new church, and he's giving them uh, encouragement, and he's giving them uh, things to equip them as they do church life. And today's verses, um, we're going to jump straight into it. They are very short. It's in uh, chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. They say, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And as I was beginning to prepare, I was just feeling like there was a bit of an irony to these verses, that actually I'm finding that the number of things for me personally to rejoice about has been decreasing as lockdown has been tightening. I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit tired uh, of all this coronavirus stuff. You know, I don't get to meet with my friends. I'm the closest I've kind of been to my my extended family uh, for a, a decade, and I'm not getting to hang out with them. I'm, uh, I, we don't get to go to restaurants at the moment. And I am confessing now, but I actually miss hugging. And I am not a hugger by any means. But these are restrictions that have been put upon us. And I, I think some of us perhaps slipped into a sort of a survival mode, that we're not thriving the way maybe we, we were at the beginning. You know, we, we had lots of energy for Zoom meetings and uh, for, you know, focusing on life in a, in a different way, and now it's just getting a bit tiring, a little bit boring. A local poet, a friend of mine, said that corona started when the leaves were appearing, and now the leaves are falling. That we've gone through two seasons now. It feels a little bit like the light at the end of the tunnel is getting smaller again. It felt like it was getting closer. And so, to preach on the verses, rejoice always felt a little bit ironic to me. I think some of us are perhaps feeling uh, cornered by life, that some of our kind of sources of happiness, the things we love to do, they're just not accessible anymore. We don't actually know what we can plan for into the future. We were supposed to travel last week for a holiday and and we had to push it off and we're not quite sure what Christmas is going to look like. It's restricting. We don't have the freedoms we used to. But the Bible today says that we need to rejoice and be grateful. And we're a church that believe. We believe here that the Bible speaks throughout history and that all of the Bible is relevant for all times. So we're mixing it. I'm digging a bit deep today and I'm mixing it with as much faith as I've got. And what struck me is perhaps these verses aren't ironic, but perhaps this is Paul's strategy for our survival in this season. The context of the verses is that Paul has written this letter to the whole church So there is application personally, but actually most of the application is to the corporate body. He's he's wanting to give us kind of three uh, traits of what our church life should be like. 
And if you happen to have just tuned in uh, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower yet, but you're interested in hearing more, then uh, I encourage you to keep listening because what you're gonna hear is a bit of a picture of what our, we want our church to be like. This is the kind of community we wanna be in Amsterdam. So Paul starts by saying, rejoice always. This is Paul's call to us as a church to be always pressing in to worship and rejoicing together. Now, what we need to underline first of all is that biblical joy isn't an emotion to be confused with happiness. It's actually much deeper. It's, it's like a, a character trait. Is that joy is, is, is derived from something or someone. Happiness is purely a reaction. It's an emotional reaction and it comes and it goes. Joy is deeper. It can be part feeling. It can be part action. And actually what this means is that joy is something we can choose. But how is the question I'm asking today. We see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that joy is consistently a mark of both the individual believers' kind of characteristics, but also a mark of the church's characteristics. I'd say in other parts of the Bible, we see that it's possible to suffer with joy. That it's possible, James tells us that, also, it's possible to lament with joy. And I think it's similar to, um, to grieving with hope, that there's, a, there's a, a deep sadness going on, but there can still be hope. And we live in the reality of these two uh, complex states, and emotions will kind of go between the two, but we can bring them together. And even today, there's joy to be found. Because true joy is found from and it's found in God himself. Psalm 16 verse 11, it says, in your presence is abundant joy. So encouragement, kind of number one, is if you're feeling short on joy, hang out in God's presence. Another verse is Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15 verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope so we can believe in God to fill us with hope, joy and peace. And it reminded me of a picture, uh, uh, an illustration. I wonder if Paul had this in mind as he was writing it. But there was a time where Paul was imprisoned and uh, he'd, he, was, he was preaching the gospel, he was doing God's work and he finds himself in prison and he is flogged and he's beaten and he's put in the, the isolation cell, his feet are in locks. And let's see what he does. Acts 16, I'll read from verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received the, these orders, he put them 
in the inner cell and fasten their feet in the stocks. And this is how they respond. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening in. I mean, this is incredible. I don't know that I would have reacted that way. I would be feeling sorry for myself, I'm sure, but these guys react with rejoicing always, despite their circumstances. I mean, isn't that a brilliant picture? At the moment for us, I think it's hard for us to rejoice always. I don't think it's perhaps as hard as it was for the uh, Thessalonians, because they were uh, in the same danger that Paul was of, of being uh, beaten, of being imprisoned. But for us right now, there's kind of a real and present danger around us with this coronavirus. And this situation, I've found that it can erode joy, that a little bit like acid, it, it can dissolve joy away in us. Maybe you've found some of your sources of joy have been under threat. Maybe meeting with friends was a source of joy, and you can't do that in the way you used to. Maybe it's looking forward to things. Maybe kind of your joy was being pinned on, on a vaccine um, being developed, and now that's looking like it's further away. So my encouragement is that we find more reliable sources of joy, that we look to the bigger circumstances, not the, the smaller circumstances we find ourselves in. That as Christ followers, Jesus is still real to us, that he's still alive, that his death on the cross means that we can freely walk into his presence and we can experience him and he will hear us and he will respond to us. And this is where we can find joy. Ch Charles Wanamaker, a theologian, he puts it this way. He says, to rejoice always is to see the hand of God in whatever is happening and to remain certain of God's future salvation. Without such conviction, joy would not be possible in the face of affliction, suffering, and death. So we wanna be a church that looks for the hand of God, because like Rich and Naomi encouraged us, God is still doing things. Another theologian known as Principal Rainey, he said this, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of our heart when the king is in residence there. I love that. I want us to be a church where we're flying the flag of joy from our hearts because Jesus is resident and king in our church. So I want us, I long for us to be a church that rejoices always. And then Paul goes on to encourage us to be a church where we pray without ceasing. Now prayer is super important in the Bible. There are 650 prayers recorded and about 450 answers to prayers recorded. We see Jesus regularly uh, prayed on his own. He withdrew to pray on his own, but he would also pray with others. This is the example that he sets. The first prayer meeting is in Genesis 4, uh, verse 26. And it says that at, the, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And we see the last prayer meeting occurring in the Bible is in Revelation 19, 
where there's a picture of the throne room of God and they are also calling on the name of the Lord. So prayer is throughout the Bible. It's super important. Maybe I should just give my simple definition of prayer is that it's communication with God. Communication with God. It can be planned, it can be liturgical prayers, but it can be spontaneous prayers. Just our hearts, it can be long prayers, it can be short prayers, it can be uh, prayers that uh, have lots of eloquent words, but the Bible says it can also be our groans, that we're expressing something deep from within. They can be loud, they can be quiet many ways to pray and I want us to look at what does Paul mean by praying unceasingly because this seems impossible and actually psychologically for an individual it is impossible you just can't focus your brain to keep doing that and as a church it's practically impossible so Paul is using some hyperbole here he's using some poetic license and it's it's verses a little bit like this where Paul is so enthusiastic about prayer that actually I found it can be a bit of a stick with which I've beat myself that my prayer life isn't quite good enough that if only I could pray a little bit more and I think Paul means it like an encouragement like a carrot like a a moment of invitation from God to us to pray Think of it more like a a marriage relationship where conversation is ongoing throughout the day rather than a dating relationship where there's kind of moments of conversation. But know that this is an invitation. I'd often say to people, you know, you can come around my house anytime. That's like an open invitation. And to be honest, I'm secretly hoping that they let me know before they come But another definition of home is is that it's the place where you're always welcome, where you don't have to let anyone know. You can just pitch up. And this is Jesus' invitation to us, that we can come home to him, that prayer is something we can do anytime, anywhere, any place. And that is what Paul is wanting to encourage us to do, to pray in all situations. Do it as much as we possibly can to know that there's always an open invitation into Jesus' presence to communicate with him individually and with others. I think often we think of prayer uh, primarily as, as a solitary activity, something we do on our own, that we do it in private. And what we read in Romans 8 is that actually as we pray, it um, triggers a a chain reaction around the Trinity. And uh, the Bible says that kind of um, we, uh, we trigger this divine conversation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that Jesus is there interceding on our behalf. And so in many senses, when we pray, when we talk to God, we're not actually praying on our own. Furthermore, in uh, Revelation 8, uh, 3 to 5, it gives this picture of the prayers of the saints being poured out to do God's work. So all the prayers that we've prayed gather together and then God pours them out 
to do his work. So one person's prayer is never truly a prayer on its own. So when I'm thinking and talking about corporate prayer, I'm thinking about prayer with more than just me. You could call it gathered prayer. And I'm going to give us four reasons why I think corporate or gathered prayer is really important. The first has to be uh, that it is modeled throughout the Bible. If we just look at the, the book of Acts, we see in the first chapter, verse 14, they were continually united in prayer. This is all the disciples were gathered. They were united in prayer together continually. And then the Holy Spirit breaks into their prayer meeting in chapter two. And then you might have heard these verses before after, preaches, after Peter preaches his amazing sermon on Pentecost. In Acts 2.42 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to some other things, and to praying. So the New Testament Christians, the New Testament church was devoted to prayer. They did it as much as they could. They prayed in the temple, they prayed in the homes, they prayed for the sick, they prayed for their meals. They prayed uh, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they prayed in prison, they prayed when they were being persecuted. It's the biblical pattern that we wanna follow. As a church, we want to be praying without ceasing. Second reason gathered prayer is important is that Jesus is present and he responds in a unique way. Naomi quoted this verse, the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, 20. It says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. So whenever we gather with a person who loves Jesus and we begin to pray together, then Jesus' presence is there in a unique way. We know that God is omnipresent, that he's equally present over every space, but when Christians gather, there's, there's some kind of resonance between the spirit within us, the spirit within them, and Jesus' spirit. It's all the same, Holy Spirit, obviously. We find as well the verse before uh, says that um, when Christians agree in prayer together, it somehow reverberates around heaven a little bit louder, perhaps. Somehow, uh, multiple praying voices are kind of amplified throughout heaven. I don't fully understand it. But Matthew 18, 19, Jesus is uh, repeating himself. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Somehow, you know, corporate prayers seem to uh, get bumped, you know, it's, I guess it's like priority boarding. You know, all prayers are in this big pot, but somehow when we gather, there's a, a unique response Jesus gives to them. Thirdly, it's faith building and it is encouraging. When, you know, we are finding ourselves in a situation where we're spending more time on our own or in our households, and not in, in big meetings where we get to gather. Um, and when we gather, even with two or three people, I find their faith is infectious. That I'm reminded that I'm not the only one praying to God, that God is hearing us, that God is powerful, that God wants to respond to our prayers. So I find it faith building and encouraging. You know, it's a little bit like multiplayer gaming. You know, when you're there on your own, it's exciting and you can get involved. But it's 
kind of like your own little bubble. When you bring someone in, there's like this multiplicative effect and it gets infinitely more exciting. I like to say that food tastes better when it's shared. Praying together is really good for us. It fuels our faith, it encourages us. And as well, number four is we grow more as disciples of Jesus. Because when I hear you pray, I'm reminded of how you uniquely see Jesus and respond to Jesus. And when you hear me pray, you hear something of my understanding of who God is. Whatever our kind of personal theology is, derived from you know, what we've read in the Bible, what we've lived, experienced, that comes out when we pray. Terry Virgo, the, the kind of founder of our family of churches, he says the best way to disciple someone to look more like Jesus is to pray with them. It's good for us to pray together. But how do we do it today? Because church is so different to how it's ever been. I've never known it like this. And I want to, I guess, give us a little bit of vision for what church could look like in, in, in the next month or two. And it's split between online and offline, in person. Online, this is how church is gonna be for the foreseeable future. Our community groups as well are meeting online due to the government lockdown restrictions. And it's not as good but it's what we've got. And I just wanna encourage us to, to keep pressing in when, when, when our eyes are bleary, blurry uh, from looking at the screen all day, from all the Zoom meetings, you know, I encourage you to keep clicking, keep joining uh, community group meetings, meetings, keep pressing in on Sundays, trying to engage our spirit and our soul um, with what Jesus is doing in our lives. It's not as good, but it's what we've got. And I wanna encourage us that uh, we can still meet in person, that the lockdown restrictions currently allow us to gather in twos, threes, and fours. You know, two households together. We have to do it at 1.5 meters apart, obviously, but let's keep doing it. You know, it's easy, I think, for many of us who might say we're introverts, actually, I like this withdrawing. And so then the barriers to meeting with people uh, become higher. But we're still allowed to meet together. And actually, I've been doing it weekly. I've, I've intentionally kind of gathered two other men, and we are praying once a week. And I've found it spiritually strengthening and uplifting. And we gather for just one hour a week. We're kind of putting it high on our priority list that we're gonna try and make it happen every week. For 30 minutes, we just catch up. For 30 minutes, we pray. And we ask one another, you know, what, uh, two things really. Num number one is how have uh, Sunday sermons or our community groups been impacting our life, our relationship with God and our work? And then we pray for one another. And the second question we've been asking each other is, you know, who are we praying for at the moment to get to know Jesus better, to step over the line of faith? And we pray for each other's friends too. It's so simple, but it takes a lot of effort to make it happen. I'd love us to be thinking about doing this as a church. 
you know, think through all the ways that you can still meet with people in person. You know, you, you can walk in parks. And, you know, you walk at a meter and a half and you have to perhaps, if you're going to pray together, which I'm encouraging we do as we gather, even in pairs, you know, you, you'll raise your voice a little bit more. It might be a bit awkward, but you can know God. You can engage in corporate gathered prayer together. So we can walk together. When people come into our home, I'd encourage you to pray for them. We had some, uh, a couple over last week and they wouldn't say that they know Jesus yet, but they were just sharing something of their, of their current worries with us. And Sophie, my wife, just said, look, can we just pray for you? And, and they said, sure, and, and we prayed. And uh, they, they were grateful. They were genuinely grateful afterwards. I'd encourage us to keep thinking of ways. Just do it as much as you can, really, is what I'm saying. Repeating Paul, pray without ceasing. But particularly, consider meeting in threes and fours to pray. Consider making it a regular thing. Think about the people, if you're in a community group, think about the people there or just friends you know. And what we've found, because... You know, we've been trying to do this as a leadership team as well, and we've found that it actually takes a big effort to make it happen. It takes some serious intentionality that, uh, to set this up, it takes resolve, that we're gonna come, uh, perhaps, you know, personality types or, you know, personal preferences to, to, you know, we're getting used to being in our houses, but we have to step out again, and we're getting over the, the obstacles of the diary that feels so full at times. And it takes intentionality to do it. And it can feel awkward if you've never done it before, to pray out loud with other people. You can feel a little bit vulnerable, but I'd encourage you to, to prepare. Not only just decide, okay, I'm gonna go for this, but to, you can prepare a little bit. Maybe God will uh, put a psalm on your heart or you can just kind of bring a, a verse that has been encouraging you of late. Maybe you can think about one or two things you wanna uh, pray about. Or you can borrow the two things that you know, I do in my group. You know, how's, how's this Sunday preach or community group been impacting our life, our work, our relationships? And who else are we praying for? A uh, author and theologian known as Megan Hill, she writes this. The important thing is that when we come to corporate prayer with the intention, I'm gonna start that again. The most important thing is that we come to corporate prayer with the intention to lead others to the throne for their good and for God's glory. I love that as a vision for corporate prayer. We want to help lead others to the throne and for God's glory. And when you meet, make it a team activity. If you've been in a corporate prayer setting, uh, maybe you've experienced the, the moments of pause between. Maybe at those moments you're, you're finding yourself kind of stepping back waiting for the next person to pray, or even when the next person is praying, there's a little uh, sigh of relief, okay, it doesn't have to be me. And when they're praying, maybe your mind can wander. And uh, my encouragement is, is when someone else is praying, see them as your representative, see them as kind of the team representative. 
uh, a mentor of mine taught me we need to get inside one another's prayers. So as they're praying, you know, uh, my kids tease me that I'm often going, hmm, yes. And that's because I'm wanting to get inside their prayers and agree with them and I'm kind of saying, yes, God, me too, I agree with that. Won't you do that, Father? So when you meet, get inside one another's prayers. And this is part of what I feel is, is a vision God's giving us as a, as a leader team that God can knit us together. It's different from when we would gather big meetings, big celebrations and be super encouraged and see hundreds of people in the room. This is a more personal, intimate strengthening of us in small groups as we pray, as we meet with God together. And my sense is, you know, throughout this season that, that God's wanting to take us deeper, that he's wanting to make us more dependent upon him. And the most significant way, the first way we show dependence on God is by reaching out to him in prayer. I think this could be like a, a new tool for our church to use that we need to find it and we need to kind of sharpen it and get used to using it and then we can see it build our church and strengthen our church such that when lockdown does lift, I'm convinced we will be in a stronger place to receive more and more people in. So let us be a church that prays without ceasing. Let us be a church that rejoices always, prays without ceasing. And part three is give thanks in all circumstances. And this is a, another theme that Paul keeps coming back to in his letters to the churches. In Ephesians 5.20, he writes, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we express gratitude or thankfulness, it changes our heart disposition. You know, I, I think it's, impossible to be grateful and be grumbling at the same time. You know, gratitude is a sense of kind of an overflowing heart. Grumbling is the, is the sense of a, a heart that's wanting more. There is much to grumble about at the moment. There's much that I want to complain to you about. And maybe I did a little bit at the beginning, but God wants us to be a people, a church that is grateful not in denial, not kind of trying to grin and bear it. You know, we need to be real, um, that life is tough. But grateful, as Paul writes, grateful to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, bringing to mind the bigger circumstances to which we find ourselves in as Christ followers. And often we find that thankfulness then affects our feeling of joy. And this is perhaps a great place for us to start when we gather, when we pray. It's not the only place to start, but it can be a really good one. Because as we start with gratitude, it warms the heart towards joy and towards rejoicing. At the moment, we're trying to teach our kids to be grateful. And we've been reminded that it doesn't come naturally. Much more naturally to each of us, I believe, is, is grumbling, is, is a bit of discontent, is a bit of a, I just want a bit more of this or a bit less of this hard stuff. And so gratefulness is kind of something that almost we decide in the, in the cold light of day. 
And this is why Paul is telling us to kind of put it on, to be grateful in all circumstances. We need to listen to Paul's imperative. We need to ask for help with this. We make decisions and with grace we try and live them out and then we see our hearts and our church transformed. So let us be a church that gives thanks in all circumstances. You see how it's building. Let us be a church that rejoices always, that prays without ceasing and gives thanks in all circumstances. And the last part of the verse, my conclusion, for this is God's will. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, we often ask God, you know, what's your will for me? We're seeking him for guidance. And I'd say today, this is God's will for us as individuals and as a church, that we should be putting on these traits. And it's not about... Uh, you know, where we need to go or what career we need to do, but it's about our hearts and our relationships and our expression of church. The world is closing in a little bit and lockdown is increasingly restrictive and we don't know how long it's going to last and I find myself asking, you know, what does this mean for my relationship with God and my relationship with the church? But what if... What if God was using this as a means of grace towards each of us? Maybe it's some sort of gift for each of us, an act of kindness to God for each of us that he can use it. That as the world closes in, as our sources of joy become kind of more distant, as they become removed and uncertain, as it can feel like we've got so little to be grateful for that there's much to grumble about, as we feel kind of cornered, what if we were to find Jesus in that corner already waiting for us? What if that this is God's heart and his will for us as individuals and as a church that in the midst of these restrictions we can gather in threes and fours with Jesus and we can know his presence again? We can know his security. We can know uh, gratefulness and joy bubbling up from our hearts as we do it. And maybe you've never known any of this and what I'm saying feels a little bit foreign to you and um, we'd love to pray for you. You know, click on the links after the preach. There'll be links for prayer, links to get in contact with us. We can meet with you at a distance. We'll gladly do that but know that there's joy to be found, that Jesus is to be found in the midst of this lockdown. I think back to Paul in prison, that he was trapped. He wasn't able to work, but he worships. He's cornered, and it's like he finds Jesus there. And then, actually, the verses go on to say that there was this incredible earthquake, and Paul is freed. But... Perhaps this is the lesser of the two miracles. I mean, an earthquake in response to Paul being in prison is pretty impressive. But what if the bigger miracle was the fact that Paul had previously had a heart and life-changing encounter with Jesus, that he was full of his spirit, that in the midst of desperate circumstances, he was able to worship God. He was able to praise, to be thankful, to be grateful. He was able to choose, uh, though he was probably feeling 
some self-pity. He might have been feeling anxious. He might have been feeling uh, regret or fear. But in that, he's choosing to worship God. That, for me, I think is the bigger miracle. And that's the miracle that Jesus wants to keep working in our hearts every day. This is Paul's strategy for our survival in this season. Let us be a church that rejoices always, that prays without ceasing, that gives thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. Can I pray for us? Yeah, Jesus, we want to find you there as we reach out on our own, as we reach out uh, in twos and threes, may we find you there. May we uh, encounter you. May our faith be built. Jesus, these times are, are trying and testing. And we need your Holy Spirit to help us uh, to thrive in them. And, and these words... Yeah, they almost feel ironic. You know, what have we got to feel grateful and joyous about when we can feel so isolated and far from one another? But your word is true. It's as true today as it was to the, those in Thessalonica. And so by faith, we choose gratefulness today. We choose, to, uh, we choose joy we choose to look at the Jesus who gave himself for us so that we can have relationship with him. And I pray that this is a, a transformational week for each of us, that there might be more thankfulness and joy that permeates all that we do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.